Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, with Pastor John King. Well, Lord, uh, Lord, I'm not starting to pray right now. What am I doing? I seem to have a problem today up here on this platform. It'll come to me. Oh, yes, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to cross over into chapter 4 today. We'll be in verses 15 of chapter 3 all the way into verse 1 of chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I just want to remind you where we left off. We, uh, Paul has just finished most of chapter 3 by explaining the need to press forward towards the goal of Christ's likeness. This is basic Christianity. And actually living by faith. You know, it's one thing to mouth the words, but are you living? Are you and I living by faith? As opposed to putting confidence in the flesh. You know, our default, our reset button is to put all of the confidence in all things in our own striving, in our own strength. But we should be, as Paul said, we need to decide it's a decision, really, to rejoice in the Lord despite our circumstances. How do you do that? Well, it's, it's in and through. It's, it, you know, it's not complicated, but it's one of those things where it's in and through the surpassing value of really knowing Jesus by faith. Really knowing him as your Lord and Savior, not knowing about him, but being able to have joy in the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus. And you can rejoice in that. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't add up. It doesn't work. So you need to know that you're saved, that you have a relationship, and it's demonstrated by the fact that you can rejoice in the Lord no matter what your circumstance is. You may not like the circumstance that you're in. And Paul helped us by using his own life as an illustration. He, uh, he once valued and he found all of his self-worth, as we read, in his ethnicity and his religious achievements. But now he values Christ above all else. This lifelong pursuit is a goal that will never be achieved fully in this life. Paul was humble to admit to say that he hadn't arrived yet. He's still moving forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are commanded in God's word and through Paul to put the past behind us and press forward. So often our past can be such a heavy weight of despair and guilt and worry and the enemy uses that in a mighty way. So we're, we're commanded to put it past us. And with God, the Holy Spirit as our helper, and also the encouragement of one another. I mean, I'm encouraged to be here today in church. Are you not encouraged to be here? Amen. He's like, man, we're just sitting in a building and a guy up here doesn't know what he's saying. No, we're, we're here because of the joy of the Lord. We're rejoicing in the Lord together. And we're chasing that finish line. You know, when we leave here, it's going to be back. Life is normal. This is a special time that God always sets, sets aside for us. So today, as we go deeper in what it means to live by faith, we are reminded of our need to avoid being earthly-minded. Because information comes at us in droves, okay? Faster and more prevalent than ever before. And so we have to see where we get our help. And here's where we get our help. And this is where we're seeing with our youth. This is what we're trying to do. 
imitate and observe those who walk in Christ. Those who have been married for 40 years. Those who have been through sickness, who have gotten that call from the doctor. That surgery, whatever it was. We're here to encourage one another. And, and Paul says, look, imitate. I'm kind of going into my message kind of early here. But we want to see those who walk in the biblical pattern of life. But we also, and we're going to see it, we need to take note and avoid those who are actual enemies of the cross of Christ. And so let's read our passage. Verse 15, he said, let me find it here. Oh, there it is. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren or brothers and sisters, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, who got, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our, our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And verse 4, Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And Heavenly Father, uh, thank you once again. We've, we've uh, you know, joined together for a wonderful fellowship today, and you have graced us with your presence. And so, Lord, I just, I ask that as your word is taught that I would be able to get out of the way so that the Holy Spirit, you, you Lord, God the Holy Spirit, can speak to the hearts of each and every person here. May we sense your presence, may we learn, and may it be a changing experience for us, Lord. Not just a fleeting moment, but something that really grows us closer to you, so that we can together rejoice in the Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we start out in verses 15 and 16. And Paul is, he's real, what he's really doing, he's picking up from last week. But he's saying, you need to run. You're running this race. But you need to run this race with the proper perspective. The proper perspective and pursuit. And so he says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. We know the, the word therefore. We say, you know, what is it therefore? And he's picking up on where he left off. But he says in verse 12, we recall, he used a similar word for perfect. Or it's in the King James Version, it says as many as be perfect, if you're using a King James Version. And that means mature, as, as this New King James says, or fully grown. Now in verse 12, Paul used a similar word, perfect, but he explained that he had not yet attained it or not already perfected. So the Greek words for perfect are not all the same meaning. What Paul was referring to back in, in verse 12 was having arrived at complete and perfect perfection. But here he's, re he's referring to those who have grown, that are mature in the Lord, mature in Jesus Christ. He's just concluded his declaration of pressing forward in his faith 
for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, as you recall, in verse 14. He continues with this mindset by restating the, the ideal and the goal. In other words, we're always coming back to the basics. And so he restates this aim and this goal that every Christian has set before them. Is it something you place before you? No, it's something the Lord has placed before you. Look at Matthew 5:48. He says, "Therefore, Jesus says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect." Now, it's in commands like this that draw us toward the upward call. We don't we're not looking to stay plateaued in our faith. In fact, there's really no such thing as that. You're either moving forward, you're resting in Christ, yes, but you're either moving forward or you're sliding backwards. That's how it is. Because it's an upward call, you know, if you can picture the metaphor. And so if our hearts desire to be fully devoted to God, we will be moving in that upward call, that direction. And so he says, therefore, as many as are mature, have this mind. In other words, he's encouraging him to, to have the same mind, to be, uh, have this, cherish the same basic views, to have unity, to be harmonious. So important for a church body not to be split apart or splintered into little groups when it comes to the important things about the gospel and the call that God has on our lives. But notice he says here, he kind of interjects, he says, but if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now it'd be easy in that English rendering, that English translation that we just read, to consider this as sort of like a put down from Paul. You know, if any of you just don't get it yet, uh, you know, you might, you might figure it out. God will reveal it to you. you know, bless your heart, as he would, might say down here. NIV says, and if, some, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Paul knows that not everybody is in the same place in their walk with Jesus. Not everybody is in agreement with everything he has said. But notice what he does. He doesn't try to force his will. You know, that's something we, we're terrible at in our culture sometimes. He doesn't try to force his will. He trusts that God will show them. God will bring them along. Paul is gracious not to overreach. Paul realizes, like you and I should realize, that we are not the Holy Spirit. We are vessels for the Holy Spirit. We are broken vessels. And Paul is recognizing, as we do, that God is, just as God is working in us, he's also working in others. See, that's another thing. We think, oh, the Lord is doing so much in my life. We forget that the Lord is working in others as well. Now, the writer of Hebrews prayed this way near the end of Hebrews in chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. This is a beautiful prayer. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep. You know, Jesus is the great shepherd. He's the one. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, then may he make you complete in every good work to do his will. Notice who's doing the work, who's making the person complete. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. So Paul's, he's saying, look, I'm just, I'm saying this. This is where I'm at. We need to be harmonious. We need to continue that upward call in Christ. And if you're not there yet, if you're not really understanding that, then the Lord will show it to you. He will reveal it. 
Now in 16, he exhorts them once again. He's basically going to say here in verse 16, don't lose the ground that you've already taken. Remember, it's an upward call. Don't lose the ground that you've already taken. He says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained. In other words, wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord in this upward call, you have already reached a point in your life that the Lord does not want you to fall back. He doesn't want you to give back the enemy, the ground that he has taken through the Holy Spirit, through overcoming sin and temptation, the things that come at us on a regular basis, but also our lifestyles, our habits. The same standard of faith that brought you to Christ, you and I are to continue to live and to grow by. Tommy Heigl wrote this. He said, the problem with most Christians, it's not that they don't know enough of the Bible. The problem is they don't live the Bible that they already know. If you already know enough Bible to be a better Christian, then live up to what you have already attained. We sometimes talk about being mindful and respectful of uh, others' viewpoints, a, a very good thing to have, a very good character in our, in our, in our character, uh, what we display. Because this is a common courtesy in general. But we should also be asking ourselves a question as to why we sometimes disagree with others on the essentials. Sometimes, you know, we're arguing about stuff that's already been settled. And in this case, moving forward towards the prize of the upward call in Christ. In other words, growing in faith and maturity. That, that is, you know, Paul cannot overemphasize it. And so the question is, is do you and do I think we, at times, think we no longer need to grow in the Lord? You know, we're good. Now, of course, Pastor John, having put it that way, I doubt that any of us has that attitude, at least not publicly. But sometimes we all need someone in our lives to reveal our blind spots. Close friends, our spouses, the closest, prayer partners. There's accountability. There's this walking aside alongside one another. It comes, you know, in a small church like this, uh, you don't necessarily have to set up a program to do that. It happens sort of organically because we're close. We're close-knit. We've become friends through the years. But, you know, having those people in your lives that you're willing to open up to and say, hey, will you just please speak into my life? Uh, it may be a struggle that you have. It may be an area that the, the Lord needs, you, you know, he doesn't really need your help, but you can come alongside and you can be someone who speaks into a life of a brother or sister. But you got to allow them in. You know, we still put that big facade up, okay? Everything's good. The smile's good. All the, all the, all the trimmings are there on our entrance to our lives. But we need to let it down. We need to let it go. But we're not going to do it ever unless we trust people, unless we know that they love us. So it's, it's, it works in that way. It comes through love and care and walking with people and developing relationships, which are extremely hard in this day and age because we're so easily preoccupied by the things of life and our busyness. Paul is saying that ultimately a true Christian will be led out of this dangerous attitude as God reveals himself to us through the word. I don't have a slide for this, but in 2 Peter 3.18, it says, we say it all the time, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the call, to grow. 
We need to obey this command. Otherwise, what happens? We start having problems. We start losing ground. And God reveals his will in another way. When really bad things start to happen. Now, I'm not, let me just be careful here. Bad things that happen to us is not always a result of sin. We know that. But there are times, like the psalmist in Psalm 119, and he wrote one in Psalm 119.67, he said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Praise God. Amen. Now I'd like to challenge us as a church family, as we go through the Bible week by week, you already know what I'm going to be preaching next week. We, we pretty much, you know, we've set the pattern. You know that we're going to go through one Bible at a time. There may be special Sundays. We go through one book at a time. But I want to challenge you to consider reading ahead of the sermon on Sunday. Reading through that, you know, that, that way. And you know what? I believe, and, and also pray over the passages and pray for me or whoever may be preaching on that Sunday. But I believe it will have a positive effect on our church. I think it will grow us closer if we'll put the word of God in our hearts and minds the week before we come to church on Sunday. So that's my challenge for you. When we get into the book of Colossians, I've already ordered and received these little uh, note, you know, little devotionals. And we'll make available to everyone a devotional for every book of the Bible that we teach here at this church. Well, you can come and you can make your notes. You can use it as part of your Bible study. Will you join me in this challenge? Will you guys do that? Can I hear amen? Like we're interested in doing something like that? I mean, let's make good use of the time. You know, we can get all wrapped up in the world's problems or we can start focusing and, and be more united and together in God's word, studying God's word. Let's do that, okay? Amen. And I'll remind you, but next week we're in chapter four. We'll probably cover all the way through verse seven. Next week, you can be starting to pray. When we, when we leave here today, I'm sure you'll go straight to your house and start reading it. No, I'm just kidding. When you get some time to be with the Lord, thank you. I think we're going to be blessed by that. I really do. I think the Lord will honor that. Next, we come into this difficult passage, I suppose, uh, only because it, it comes at us, okay? Because maybe some of our attitudes are going in the way towards enemies of Christ. He's going to talk about avoiding the error of being earthly minded. Avoiding the error of being earthly minded. From the start of this chapter, chapter 3, Paul has been teaching us that knowing and applying the basics of our Christian faith is not tedious for him to remind because why? It keeps us safe. We stay in God's word because that's a safe place to be. Rejoicing in the Lord is the source of hope and strength we have in all circumstances. And this safety, as we learned last week, protects us from false teachers. Now, we saw there's, there's going to be sort of two sides of the coin. Last week, we talked about what Paul described as the dogs and the evil workers. And these were the ones who placed their confidence in the flesh through legalistic ritual and religion, the Judaizers. You know, he's saying you've got to be a good Jew. To be a good Christian, you've got to be a good Jew first. You've got to go through circumcision. Now, Paul will show us the opposite today. There are those who think that because you're saved, you can now live as you please. You can sin, it's overlooked, and sin and indulgence uh, is, is 
sought, it's encouraged, and it's expected. The good life. He refers to them as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Before he does that, he's going to go here in verse 17, and he's going to talk about examples to imitate and observe. You know, we were talking about that. You know, why we want to have the youth serve on one Sunday is so that they can get to know some of the other adults and mature Christians in the church. And they would have another example, apart from their parents, another example for those to observe and to watch. And that's, that's the exhortation Paul has for all of us. He says, first of all, he uses himself. He dares to use his himself to join in following my example is what he says. Now, is he saying, follow me because I'm so wonderful? No. He's talking about the example of his life in Christ. Paul's spiritual goal. What, what example are you talking about? Well, Paul has a spiritual goal to become more like Jesus. That's a simple thing. You know, what's your five-year plan? It should be to become more like Jesus. You know, your employer might say, what's your five-year plan? Ah, that's not a good one. We'll give you another one. No, it should be more like to become more like Jesus. That should be your plan. And that's Paul's example. And he says, and note those who so walk. In other words, to look at, to observe, and to contemplate the conduct of others. Not, and not to, not to take that observation and now go gossip about it, but to place it in your mind and say, you know, that person, that brother, that older brother or sister in the Lord, they really have been faithful through all these years. I happen to know personally some of their struggles. I happen to know that they've survived cancer. I happen to know that they've lost a dear loved one, and yet they still follow Jesus. And so Paul says, you have us as a pattern. Now, he was a great pattern. I mean, he's been in jail for four years, and how many times was he beaten? How many times was he whipped for the gospel? Hughes writes this. He says, the apostle is calling the Philippians to join together in imitating both himself and the collective pattern of his fellow soldiers, including the men and women in the Philippian church who walked according to the example of those who indeed pursued Christ. You've probably heard the question. I'll say it today. What kind of Christian will new believers be if they follow your example? My example. After washing his disciples' feet at the Last Supper, Jesus sat down and he asked them all a question. He said, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And then in verse 15 of John 13, he says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You see, the example is through Jesus. That was Paul's example. That's our example. He is our example. The Lord Jesus Christ. Next, in verse 18, we see, now he's going to talk about the enemies to contemplate and avoid. Just as we are to observe and consider those who walk faithfully in the Lord and be encouraged by that, there are also going to be those who are we, we are to observe and to avoid. He says, for many walk, verse 18, of whom I have told you often. In other words, there's numerous people who call themselves Christians who are not Christians, or they're not living the life of a Christian. I've told you often. In other words, he's explained it frequently. Now you can't imagine, reading Paul's letters, you can never imagine that he would be shy 
about speaking to folks in the church when they did wrong. That's not Paul. doesn't seem to be his character. But he says, Many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you with weeping. Weeping is a sign of pain and grief for something, whatever it is. And he's, he's weeping over people, again, who call themselves Christians and aren't living a life for Jesus. You've likely been in situations in a fellowship. If you've been walking with the Lord, if you traveled around, you've been in other fellowships. When it became painfully obvious that some folks in the church were not right with God. I'm not talking about our struggles and the things that we all have, our sin struggles. But somebody who is simply, they're just not right. There's something, you know, that it's obvious they call themselves Christians, but they live a life that is contrary to that. And Paul wept because they were in danger of destroying their own souls and others who they might influence. That's why he wept over this, these believers. He says, I tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Ekthros. Hostile, hating, and opposing. Who have given up their evil passions to evade the obligations, or they've given over to their evil passions, to evade the obligations imposed upon them by the death of Christ, and that they are actually strangers to the true gospel. In a church like ours, and I'm not going to try and tell you that Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City, is the only church on the face of the earth that teaches the Bible. That's absolutely not true. But in a church that teaches God's word faithfully and continues to stay in God's word, people who are kind of playing the game as Christian, faking the Christian life, don't, they, won't, they won't stick around. They, they simply won't be a part of a fellowship that takes God's word seriously. But in our society, we, we can make ca Christianity be such a casual thing. You can say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you do whatever you want. You get drunk every Friday and Saturday night. You're out to all hours of the night or whatever it is. You know, I could, I could grab a lot of things. And, you know, Paul is, he's, it should be like us. You know, this, this is not something that we are to look down on others, you know, and hold them in our own self-pride of judgment. It's something that would cause us to weep over. If you've ever had a friend who's walked away from the Lord, then perhaps you have felt the way Paul is feeling right now. And you see them living a life. And even though they weren't, they're not ready to say, well, I've gone, you know, some, some have deconstructed and they've left their faith. One writer said this when referring to the context, who, who's Paul talking about? He doesn't identify who, who they are. He just says this is their behavior. But evidently, says one writer, these enemies were at one time professed Christians. Perhaps they were ex-members of the Philippian church, but they're still around. Philippi was a small place. Likely these men had regular contact with most of the congregation. You probably know some folks. I know some folks that I was once in fellowship with. I might run into them here and there. I'm not talking about leaving to be a part of another church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those who have just simply walked away from God. They're done. You know, they, they still tell you they tried it. And they got burned. The church hurt them or whatever it was. And so now they're living a life, in some cases, you know, whatever they want to do. 
And Paul is saying, you know, you, you can actually, you, you walk away like that. Maybe you never knew the Lord. I don't want to get into that doctrine. But the fact of the matter is, you can go from being uh, one who is for Jesus or one who is totally against him. Because there's only two types of people in the world. Those who know Jesus and those who don't. Matthew 7:15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Now for those who decide to stay in the church and in the fellowship, yet be, still remain as enemies of Christ. That's a dangerous thing. That's a terrible thing. And we need to be watching out for that. That's what you have your, your pastors and your elders and your seniors for when people want to come in. I remember one pastor talking about how, you know, he's a big mega church pastor, but he was talking about the guys that would come drop their kids off this church outside and their wife and kids would come to church and the guy would go off to be with his girlfriend every single Sunday and he would call himself a Christian and this kind of stuff you know that's that's just one example there's all kinds of stuff that goes on where people put on the facade they put on the fake hat that says I'm a Christian the t-shirt perhaps but notice what he says and he continues on their condemnation and their character whose end, verse 19, is destruction. Now by destruction, this means loss of eternal life. Eternal misery, perdition is another word to be used. Those who have been excluded from the kingdom of God. Whose God is their belly. They're given up to the pleasures of the palate. They're given up to gluttony. And that's an example of, you know, given up to worldliness and earthly pleasures. It also can refer to those Judaizers who were given up to the ceremonial law concerning diet. And we'll talk more about this when we get into Colossians 2. And another thing is whose glory is in their shame. And in their shame, their disgrace and their dishonor. We live in a culture right now that just makes a mockery of all the things that God has designed. The surgeries, the transitioning, the debauchery. And some people glory in that. They have, this is Pride Month, okay? An entire month they have dedicated to that lifestyle. And if they're going to call themselves a Christian, and that's what you see in the progressive church sometimes, Paul would say otherwise. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. But they set their mind on earthly things. Warren Wiersbe said, these men were not spiritually minded, they were earthly minded. They were holding on to earthly rituals and beliefs that God had given to Israel. And they were opposing the heavenly blessings that the Christ, Christian has in Christ. So again, Either they're legalistic or they're fully gone on into a sort of debauched lifestyle. We've said enough about examples to imitate and observe. as We've talked about Youth Sunday. But it's not just that. It doesn't apply just to that once a month. Those of us who are adults and leaders in this room, you and I need to be living examples of those who constantly desire to know Christ more. And that we get the power to do that through his resurrection. We've learned that. The power of his resurrection gets us excited about the hope we have for the future. 
the fellowship of his sufferings helps us to realize that whatever bad thing we may be happening to us right now in an uncomfortable circumstance, God will see us through. And we're continuing to press toward the goal for the prize. So we've actually, by creating this little program in our church, we've kind of set everybody up for a higher level of accountability, right? I mean, if you're going to work with these kids, you've got to be a good example. You may want to example, you know, maybe if you're, maybe if you're prone to gossip. Kids hear that. I mean, we're losing our hearing as we gossip. Don't think that the kids don't hear every single word that you say. It's just a high, you know, you're like, I'm not coming back to church on the first Sunday. <laughs> I'm not trying to do that either. But it's so important for us. Our attitudes. You know, Satan's lies, and we see what happens. We've seen it in this chapter. Satan either tries to get you to be religious and self-righteous or loose and licentious. You know, he's quick to shift his tactics, isn't he? And once he sees that you're committed, you know, you can have this false sense of security and do whatever you think you can do whatever you want. And that's what we see in progressive Christianity. That's what we see. Progressive Christianity means we're judging everything by culture instead of the Word of God. The byproducts, I've mentioned a few. Pride Month, rainbow flags, BLM flags, affirming churches all outside their church on their lawns. Some into this Christian socialism symbol, which has a cross and a whole bunch of other stuff on it. The Bible is no longer the standard for life. Woke ide ideology, moral relativism. I could go on and on and on. You guys, some of you here, I've heard enough of it. You're kind of, you're not even wanting to be tuned into it anymore. And then we have this sad situation which can lead, as a progressive Christianity, can lead to deconstruction or apostasy by abandoning the pursuit of Christ and the cross. What happens is your mind now returns to the pre-Christian things rather than the upward call of Jesus. Paul's message, writes Hughes, Paul's message to us is this. The way we live, our walk, our appetites, the things which we revel, the set of our inner disposition all tell whether we are Christian or post-Christian. We should note that Paul, who had much to say about the nature of authentic faith in other places, he does not say a word about faith here. His, here, lifestyle reveals the authenticity of a professed belief. Taking this warning to heart is essential if we are to stand firm. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 4, you've heard that. He says in verse 4, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. If you claim to be a Christian, but you live like the world, the Bible says you are an enemy of God. We don't want to leave it there, and Paul doesn't leave it there. You know, we want to leave on an upbeat note. We, we take note, we've understood what Paul is telling us, that we can't substitute these attitudes for our true Christian life. But here's what we are doing. We're expecting that the best is yet to come. 
Look at verses 20 and 21. Now he's been warning them about the numerous enemies of the cross. And he was doing it for their good. But he con concludes, now we're going to be in a section where we have the ultimate positive. I mean, you talk about the power of positive thinking and all, whatever, you know, you want to talk about, about uplifting people. The ultimate positive for a Christian is eternal life and resurrected bodies. And look what he says. First of all, we're heaven bound in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. That again, that Greek word, it's like the, the word for where we get politics. Our political party, in a sense, is in heaven. It's not democratic or republican or independent. Our citizenship is in heaven. This consists of the fact that, you know, we, it's our status. And he's encouraging us to cling to that, to keep that foremost on your mind so that you can have what? A spiritual mind. Take away from the earthly mind. The people in Philippi, many of them were ex-Roman soldiers and they were, it was considered a, a Roman colony. So to be a Roman colony, you know, it's sort of like a stamp of approval from Rome. You know, they're, they're recognized. And so when he says, now that you're Christians, your heavenly status is in heaven. That's the same thing we could say to us when we get a little bit overly patriotic. I'm not against patriotism. But when we put all of our, our worth and all of our, you know, everything is about our, our, this great nation that we live in. And it's a great nation. No, no doubt. So many people want to come here. But we still need to be reminded of our heavenly status as believers. That's our true citizenship. And verse 21, we have a resurrection promise. He says, Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Amen. We talk about being safe in the basics of Christianity. Do not let that promise go to waste. Some of you who are going through physical struggles, life-threatening struggles right now, you know what I'm talking about. You know that you're clinging to that promise. Just because you feel good and you're healthy now, Every one of us has a, an expiration date in our physical body. Every one of us is going to go through some sort of physical struggle in our life. And we are not guaranteed that next heartbeat. God can take us at any time. But we are guaranteed, since that's true, we also as Christians know that it's true that we will receive a heavenly body, that we will be transformed. This lowly body. Yeah, I don't look in the mirror either. That it may be conformed, fashioned, or having a form like what? Jesus' glorious body. Where he sits right now at the right hand of the Father. Not only our souls, but our physical bodies. According to the working by which he, Jesus, is able to even subdue all things to himself. Another promise. The Lord is all-powerful. He is almighty over every single thing. Every little, right down to the atom. Everything. Even when life is at its worst, let me ask you something. Would you trade the promise and the expectation that the best is yet to come for anything less? No. Would you trade the promise and the expectation that the best is yet to come for anything less? No. Absolutely not. 
Now perhaps you're struggling with this, this concept to eagerly wait for Jesus. You know, it's been, life has been hard for a long time for you. Or you're in a situation. Let me ask you, and this is where we get into the danger. Is it because you don't really believe that Jesus could come back at any time and call you home? He could come back at any time and rapture the church? Matthew 24, 40 and 42, it says, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. But Jesus said this, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Are you ready? We were instructed last week to put the past behind us and reach forward to the things which are ahead. The same theme continues. And since we're all citizens of heaven and our time here is temporary, you know, we're staying, we're, we're temporary, we're staying in like this interesting hotel. But we're going to check out someday and we're going to go to our true home. Because we're resident aliens. So if we truly believe these things, again, I, all that I've said, if you truly believe these things, then your motivation to become more like him should do what? It should grow. Your desire should grow. You shouldn't be disinterested or resigned or completely sold out for worldly pleasures. You might be in a rut. Christians have a dual citizenship, writes Warren Wiersbe, on, heaven and in, or on earth and in heaven, and our citizenship in heaven ought to make us better people here on earth. The spiritually minded believer is not attracted by the things of this world. He makes his decisions on the basis of eternal values, not the passing fads of society. Finally, in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see victory in Jesus. He says, Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and my crown, Stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast. You can see that Paul loves his church so, so much. He really, you know, I mean, if they're going to be, you could call him, you could call this church his favorites. Maybe he's not saying that, but the way he expresses himself toward this church, you can see he loves them so much. You guys, some of you know the hymn about standing, a hymn that, that speaks to the, the need to stand fast and the ability, uh, victory in Jesus, right? You know, the, the refrain, it says, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. As we wrap up for today, I want to encourage you and myself, let's keep running the race. Let's not take what we've learned so far and lose ground and fall backwards. We're still committed to the upward call. Pray that we would each be the kind of Christian example that those who are up and coming, the younger ones in the faith, would want to imitate. And may the tears and the alarm over the enemies of the cross teach us to identify and avoid false teachers. But let's let the mystery and the wonder of our true citizenship sort of dance in our souls. When we say there's joy in the house of the Lord, that should be why. There's joy in the house of the Lord because of the promise he has for us. Let's have the worship team come up as we close. 
And so, Lord, as we, we commit today to stand firm in this upward call, I pray that we have been encouraged that you have taken us once again through another part of your word that works to change us, that works to strengthen us and edify us and correct us. And so, Father, I simply ask that you now would just go before us as we close our time together. What an honor and privilege it's been to spend this short time with each and every one here. And it's because you're in our midst, Lord. You're showing us, Lord, your truth. You dwell among us. You dwell within us. We commit this time, this last song we sing to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and worship.
face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you and give you peace. God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless. God bless.